think most of us have lives that are full. Our refrigerators are full. Our bellies are full. Our closets are full. Our trash cans are full. Our schedules are full. Our email inboxes are full. But I think if we're honest with ourselves, at the end of the day, oftentimes we're empty. See, God made every one of us to have our souls full. We have an innate, deep desire to be satisfied. In John 10, 10, Jesus said that he came so that we may have life and have it abundantly. But if we're really honest, oftentimes our daily experiences don't always match up with what we claim to believe. Life doesn't always feel abundant. Life sometimes can seem lifeless. Today we begin a new series in the book of Ecclesiastes, a series we're calling, Is It All Meaningless? So we're asking this question. Now as we begin studying Ecclesiastes on Friday mornings and in our home groups, I want to have full disclosure. Ecclesiastes is not easy. This is not an easy book. Ecclesiastes is going to challenge you and me to truly be honest, honest with ourselves, to stop pretending that everything is okay. We must wrestle with some of the hard questions in life and be real with ourselves and where we're at in following Jesus. See, because I believe that Spirit of God is calling this church to go deeper. I believe that. We need to know ourselves better. We need to know our God in a deeper, more profound way. Experience more of his presence. And, and in the process, when we know who we are and we know who God is, and we're experiencing his presence together as a faith family, what happens what happens in that environment is that we are changed. We experience true life change, and then his glory is displayed in our lives individually and together as a church. And this happens even when we are facing disappointment and frustration. That's what Ecclesiastes is communicating. So let's read the opening chapter, Ecclesiastes 1, 18 verses. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south goes around to the north, around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. 
to the place where the streams flow. There they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new. It has already been in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to come among those who come after I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem and applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. And I perceive this also is but striving after wind. For in such much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. So verse 1 begins by saying, these are the words of the preacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem. So you have King Solomon is the person that the Spirit of God inspired to write the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, the Hebrew word for preacher, you see in verse 1, it refers to the assembly of God's people who have been gathered together for the purpose of worshiping God. And so the Greek word for this is ecclesia, which is the word that we use for church. And so the ecclesia is the gathering, the assembly of God's people who exist to glorify God together by worshiping him, by knowing him and making him known. Or as we, we say here, by making and developing disciples. This is what we do together. We praise our God. And so this, so right here what you have is Solomon is the preacher who is preaching this sermon to the assembly, to the gathering of God's people. Now, verse 2 describes the message. So what exactly is this preacher king proclaiming? What is the sermon? Because every sermon, at least any sermon that is good, ought to have a primary theme, a main idea. Not just random thoughts, but what are we talking about from this text? Well, Solomon has one primary idea that he's communicating in his sermon. What is the, what is the sermon? Verse 2. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. You like that sermon? That's what he's preaching. This is the sermon. This is the message that God is giving Solomon to deliver. You think, oh, that's nice. That's not going to draw a crowd, Pastor, if that's what you're going to be preaching. The word vanity means meaningless or senseless or it can mean empty. That's what vanity means. But it can also be translated breath. 
as in when it's cold. Now, Abu Dhabi, we don't know what that means, but if you remember from your home country, when it's actually cold, and I don't mean cold as in 18 degrees. So I know for us that's cold, like, oh, it's going to freeze, 18. Um, no, no, I mean like legitimately cold, like below zero. When you breathe and you can see your breath, but you don't see it for very long, you see your breath, and then instantly it's gone. So as quickly as you breathe it, it dissipates. It's empty. It's gone. And so when you see here talking about vanity of vanities, when we talk about king of kings or Lord of lords, it means that God is the king above all kings. He's the Lord above all lords. He is supreme. He has ultimate authority. And so king of kings refers to ultimate. Well, same thing here. Vanity of vanities refers to ultimate, supreme, supreme vanity, complete, ultimate emptiness and meaninglessness. So what he's saying here, as much as we try, we cannot find ultimate meaning or lasting joy in this life. He's saying it's empty. All is vanity. Now, what a dreary, downer sermon. Maybe you're thinking, well, I don't really like this sermon that the preacher in Solomon here is preaching. It's, it's kind of a dark message. It doesn't even really sound like Jesus. I thought everything in the Bible points to Jesus, and it does, including Ecclesiastes. You see, when we read Ecclesiastes, we're called to be honest with ourselves. We can lie to ourselves, and we can say things like, oh, I'm happy, I'm married, I have great kids, I have a job have everything that I need. I just got back from my summer holiday and my second one for Eid. And so now, now, now we're all back together. And so I'm, I'm so happy. Like, why wouldn't I be happy? And, and we say this to ourselves and Ecclesiastes gets in our face and asks the question, are you sure? Are you being honest about that? Is your soul really fulfilled and satisfied? Or are we pretending because we want to look good with our other church friends and we don't want anyone to know that in actuality we are really struggling? And some of you in this room, I know, I might not know, but I know that you're suffering silently. And I know that because you're human. We all face frustrations. We all face disappointments. And we oftentimes fear being real with ourselves and with our God and other people because of how we're going to look. And so we keep on the masquerade and, and we're just dying on the inside and we need to be liberated. And Ecclesiastes just gets in our face with straight talk and says, are you being real about what you're struggling with? Are you being real with your God? See, Ecclesiastes does not describe the ideal 
It doesn't. Ecclesiastes describes life how it actually is, as it says, under the sun. What life is like in this broken existence. We live in a world that is corrupted by sin, and Solomon is being very candid and honest and insightful about what life is actually like. So Ecclesiastes 1 is asking a question, is asking, what's the point? That's what we're talking about here today, is what's the point? And he makes observations about, from our vantage point, living in this broken world under the sun, when God is not the center of our lives, this is what life looks like. And it can be pointless. And he gives some reasons why life can be pointless when God is not at the absolute center. And so, number one, he says life is pointless because our lives are monotonous. That's what he says, verses 3 through 7. He's saying life is pointless because our lives are monotonous. And so it's like life is like a monotonous prison where nothing that we do really changes anything. And so daily life can be repetitious and it can be tedious. That's what Solomon says in verse 3. He says, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? So what do you gain from working so hard? He says, work can seem so meaningless. Now, our church has a lot of young families, a lot of young moms, so I'll talk to our mothers that have small children. You know this so well. You wash the same dishes every single day, and they only get dirty again immediately after the kitchen is clean. And then you change, if you have little ones, I don't know, 14 diapers per day. Like, how many stinky diapers are you going to change in one day? And then the next day, you got to do it all over again. And you pick up the exact same toys that are all around your house. You think you, that you live in Toys R Us. And, there's just, and you can't even walk in the room. We'll say, hey, guys, just make a path. So when we go into your room, we don't step on Legos. Can, can you just, you know, split them? You don't have to put them away. Just go to bed. And it can just feel so mundane. And it just feels so monotonous. Like, well, what's the point? And I think a lot of our mothers are afraid to admit something. They're bored. They would never say it out loud because they would be a bad mom. But they're bored. But those that have a career is no different. It's no different. You're in the workplace. It's like you work so hard to finish that big project but you can't even breathe because there's another one coming right up. It's like, oh, I just finished. Now there's another even bigger project. Or, or you land that, that big client or that big account, and then you get pressure from your boss, another one, another one, another one. And it's like never ending. There's always more work to be done, and it's never actually finished. And so you, you, you could think, well, what's the point? And Solomon is getting saying here in verse 4, he says, A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. People live and then they die. And for all that we think that we're accomplishing, not much is actually changed or improved. And he gives three examples from nature. 
One, when this is verses five through seven, he mentions the sun. The sun that comes up and comes down, comes up and comes down. And so he's saying it's kind of like a runner who's running, who thinks he's going somewhere, but the runner's just going in circles. Like the sun, just going in circles. Now we know that the sun doesn't actually move. We're going around the sun. But he's describing from his experience, it looks like the sun just going around and going nowhere. And then he mentions another example from nature. He mentions the wind. It circles north and south and east, and it circles around the earth. All this activity is circling, but it doesn't actually go anywhere. It's just circling. And then he mentions the streams or rivers going into the ocean. He says that the rivers flow, and so you have streams, rivers, even the most powerful rivers of this planet are flowing every second of every day, flowing into the ocean, and yet the ocean never gets deeper. It stays the same level. So he's like, well, what's the point? All of this activity, the river flowing and the oceans stay the same. Now, we could say, well, past that because of the evaporation in the water cycle. Yes, I understand the science behind that. But he's just making the observations. He's saying this is what it looks like. like it's just it's flowing but going nowhere, running in circles. And he's saying it's, it seems so meaningless. Do you remember the 1993 classic comedy, Bill Murray's Groundhog Day? If you're young, you probably haven't seen it, though, um, but it, it's, it's a great movie. The main character, Phil, he's cursed to relive the same day, February 2nd, Groundhog Day, the same day over and over and over and over, and his life just becomes completely meaningless and empty, and he tries all these different ways to find meaning and purpose, and there's none to be found. And so I think if we're honest with ourselves, oftentimes our daily lives can feel kind of like Groundhog Day, kind of repetitious, and more so than we would ever want to admit out loud. And so what you see here from Solomon is this profound observation that life under the sun and this broken existence can be quite monotonous. But number two, he says life is pointless because, number two, nothing satisfies. Nothing under the sun satisfies. Verse 8, he says, all things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing nor the ear filled with hearing. So saying that nothing satisfies. And I think a good example of this is social media, where our eyes are not filled and our ears don't ever have enough, are not filled with hearing. And so we can spend our days kind of just scrolling down. You click on Facebook and then you scroll down. You click on Instagram and you scroll down. You click on YouTube, and then you're scrolling down. You're, like, we live our lives scrolling, and it's never enough. When you see one more video, one more post, one more blog, one more thing that will make us laugh, one more thing to fill our eyes and fill our ears, and it gets never enough. We want more. We want more experiences. And for a lot of our teenage guys, they have to pass one more level on their video game. 
It's amazing how we have a generation of young men that are really boys. They haven't grown up. They haven't put down the video games yet. They're grown men with families, and they play video games for hours, and it's just it's astounding to see. But the, the eyes are not filled. The ears are not filled. We want more, one more level, one more post, one more, one more, or one more TV show, watching hours of mind-numbing television. And it's like our eyes just want more, and it's never enough. It's never enough. So we keep trying to find ways to entertain ourselves or numb the pain. So we just look forward to that next shopping trip or buying that newest gadget or going on that next vacation. And living here is really tricky because we can live in Abu Dhabi but always be planning our next vacation. And like we're never actually here. We're never actually engaged in the lives of people here and being on fire for the gospel when the lives of people here because we're planning our, our e-trip. And then as soon as that's done, oh, and we're planning our Christmas trip. Oh, then we're planning our spring break trip. And then we're planning our summer trip. And then your whole life revolves around planning to go somewhere. And look around. There are people who need Jesus. There are people here that want to love you and know you if you'll stay for once and not always leave. I'm serious. Are you engaged? God's called you here. I'm not saying don't leave for the summer, but three months? Really? Does it have to be that long? If God's called you here, be here. The eyes not filled, the ears not filled. We want more, more vacation, more entertainment, more, more, more. And it just is never enough. We keep coming up empty. Remember who Solomon is, 1 Kings 3 through 4, describes how God blessed Solomon with great wisdom and understanding. He was the wisest man to ever live. So you see here in Ecclesiastes 1, verse 12 and 14, King Solomon, he describes how he's done it all. He's seen it all. He knows more than anyone else does. And everyone is flocking, all nations, to hear his wisdom and see his wealth and sit at his feet. And what does he call life? And this acquiring of wisdom and all, he says, unhappy business. So he calls life under the sun unhappy. Verse 14, I have seen everything that's under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after the wind. On this side of heaven, under the earth, nothing fully satisfies. Verse 15, he describes why. Why exactly it doesn't satisfy. He says, what is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. Though for crooked, there is a metaphor describing sin or, or moral brokenness. This world is broken because of human sin. We live in a messed up world. Let's just be honest. Ecclesiastes is honest about it. This world is messed up, and it's our fault. We've disobeyed God. We have brought corruption. So no, God has imposed a curse on this world. And so everything is broken and we cannot fix this world and we cannot fix ourselves. 
So everything under the sun is broken. So religious rituals, pleasure, job success, romance, more possessions, none of it can fix your soul. It can't. Thomas' wisdom could not fix him or his world or his brokenness. It took a miracle beyond the sun. Hear me. It takes a miracle beyond the sun to fix what's broken in this world and in our souls. Verses 16 through 18 at the end of this chapter describe how even wisdom fails us and knowledge, understanding leaves us empty. And so more education, enlightenment is not the key. Education does not fix our souls. It will not satisfy. So the Bible could not be more clear. Nothing under the sun will satisfy. Number three, life is pointless because we will be forgotten. This is just this chirpy, positive sermon, right? He's saying you will die and no one's going to remember you. There's no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. You're going to die. People are not going to remember you. How many can name their great-grandfather in this room? One, two, three. Three can name their great-grandfather. Forgotten. Forget. People die. And for all of our striving, all that we did, it's forgotten. I want you to picture an 18-year-old high school basketball star who is setting all kinds of school records. And he's the man, big man on campus. All the girls like him, and he's a star. And then 20 years later, he goes back to his high school reunion, and he wants to watch a basketball game, and he goes and checks record books, and he's on the way on the bottom. His records have been all replaced by, by other stars the last 20 years, and he goes to the game, and there's no pop in circumstance. There's no standing ovation for him. No one remembers him. He's a has-been. It's already been 20 years since he played ball, and now there's new stars that are 18 years old. That's what life is like. We will be forgotten. And it can be pointless. It can feel pointless. And so this sermon that Solomon's delivering is, he says, life under the sun is monotonous, where nothing satisfies, and you're going to be forgotten. This is the message that God has for his people from Solomon. You think, well, I don't like that sermon. You don't have to like it, but you have to accept it. It's true. And Ecclesiastes is calling us to grapple with life as it is, not as it should be. Because the truth is that life should not be this way. God did not design life to be this way. It's this way because of the fall, because of corruption. So we could say, no, well, it shouldn't be that way. Well, that's true. Ecclesiastes is saying, but it is this way. How will you respond? 
Number four, this is the point. Life is pointless because frustration is meant to drive us to Jesus. Life can seem pointless because our frustration is meant to drive us to Jesus. See, God alone is autonomous. God alone is independent, self-sufficient, and sovereign. Only God. We are dependent. We must rely on God. We depend on him. We were created not for ourselves. We were created to worship God, to, to rely on him, to know him, to trust him. And so our purpose is that we exist to reflect the glory of God by being satisfied in him. So when we are being satisfied, our soul satisfied in God, we are then displaying his glory. That is an act, that's what worship is. And so the most important thing to understand from Ecclesiastes as we begin this study for the next several weeks is that we are desperate for Jesus. That we are broken. That we are needy and weak, and that we have no hope apart from Jesus. And when we are honest with ourselves about our disappointments from living under the sun, Ecclesiastes is trying to drive us to look up beyond the sun to see Jesus. We cannot look under the sun for joy or meaning or purpose. We must look beyond the sun, have the heavens open, and see the glory of God in the face of Jesus. And when we see him and find ourselves in him, he satisfies our souls. If you go to the end of the book, we'll just kind of take a, a quick peek at the way Solomon ends Ecclesiastes. If you turn to chapter 12. It bookends, and it makes sense of the whole book that we'd be working through. Verse 11, what you see here, he's describing that ultimate wisdom comes from, he says, the one shepherd in verse 11. Jesus is that ultimate shepherd who has come, who laid down his life to save the sheep. We cannot interpret Ecclesiastes apart from the coming of Jesus, the Messiah, because this is pointing straight to that one shepherd, our good shepherd, and how he says, the end of the matter, verse 13, as he ends the book, all has been heard. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Worship God, a reverential fear, a depending on him, a Life that is marked by worship is a life that is marked by obedience. The more that we are treasuring, the more that we are trusting in Jesus, the more that we're going to be transformed to have lives that are obedient to him. That is our purpose. And he will come back one day and restore all things and make things ideal but until that day comes, we will continue to trust him. He satisfies our souls. Do you realize that this disappointment and frustration is, is actually an act of God's grace? It's God's grace when our eyes are opened and we see how meaningless life is apart from him. When we're living in the very presence of 
God, living in community with other believers, focus on the mission of Jesus, you know what happens? Your life won't feel all that monotonous. Your life begins to feel monotonous when we're self-focused and have a small vision for our lives. Nothing's going to satisfy this side of heaven. But that's the point. When you feel that emptiness and you want to turn to something other than Jesus to fill you, that emptiness is there for a reason. God's allowing it to be there, to drive you to him, to fill it, to have him satisfy you. But this comes with Jesus who is beyond the sun, not under the sun. See, people may forget us. We're going to die, and yes, we'll be forgotten. It's true. But God will not forget you. We have confidence that he will not forget. Our lives have eternal value and meaning and purpose when we're walking with Jesus. And so he gives purpose to the daily, at times mundane realities. We do it with his presence for his glory to serve others. And it makes life less monotonous, more meaningful, and that we see that it has eternal value and purpose. I usually begin with the main idea. Today we'll close with the main idea. Life is meaningless without Jesus. It's that simple. That's the point of Ecclesiastes. That's the point of this sermon is life is meaningless without Jesus. May our frustrations drive us closer to him. We all tend to think that true happiness is found if we had something that we lack right now. So we think, oh, if I only had blank, I'd be happy. Whatever you're filling it in with, if only I had, I'd be happy. You already have Jesus. He came for you. He died for you. Took your shame and your guilt, he's alive, spirit is in you, you have eternal purpose to live for, you don't need anything else for lasting joy. You have his presence, you have his approval, that's all you need for lasting joy. How are you? How are you? Does your life seem meaningless to you? You run to Jesus and honestly rest in him. Surrender to him. Let him fill you. John 6.35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Psalm 16.11 says, in God's presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Will you draw near to this God who loves you, who will not fail you, who will not reject you, who will fill you and give you purpose and meaning? The resurrection of Christ proves that he is able. Will you truly entrust yourself and experience his joy? Let's pray. Lord, we are humbled by you, humbled by that we can know you and make you known among the nations. Thank you 
For we know that apart from you, life is meaningless. But with you, it is just bursting with meaning and purpose. So we praise you here together. Pray you would make us a church that is so focused on who you are. That we so see our purpose of glorifying you. That we are going to just be incredible missionaries for you. And we pray for your glory in the name of Jesus. Amen.